we're in the book of Luke together, we have been going through the book of Luke for a while, and uh, we're trying to uh, go through, take our time, go through, and, and make sure we don't miss any of the really important stuff. And so today we're in Luke chapter 5. Next week we'll finish up Luke 5 and move on to a new chapter. But uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up uh, to Luke chapter 5 and, and look there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen for you as well, and, um, and we'll get, get going through it. But before we do, I have a picture I want to show you of my boys. This is when we first moved up to the farm. <clears throat> and, uh, and we took this picture, we posted, I was actually, I was thinking about sharing another story, but it was about Hannah, and she's in the in the room now, so I have to think carefully about the stories that I share about her. So I'll pick on her brothers who are downstairs uh, while they're not here until she graduates from high school and then, you know, she's off of college or whatever. Then I can pick on her again when she's gone. But uh, I'm trying to embarrass her as much as I can without crossing the line that I said I wouldn't cross. So, but uh, when we first moved up to the farm, they were, do they were logging in a section kind of back down, down the road across the creek, and then you kind of wind back into the back corner of the farm, and they were logging off a section back there, and it was the middle of the summer, and our dirt is a little bit different. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't just get hard when it gets dry, but the topsoil uh, turns into basically a really fine powder. It's almost like ash, and, and uh, where, where they had been logging, you know, and, and the trucks are driving through, the big equipment is driving through, it had stirred up a layer of two or three inches of this really fine powdery dust. Well, uh, the kids had been riding their bikes, you know, around, around the house, up by the barn and out by the shop and kind of on the flat spot there. And we decided after living there for a month or two or three, I can't remember how long, I think it was about three months in, said, okay, well, we're going to let you start riding your bike down this road if you want. You can ride this road. You just have to stop at the creek. Don't go past the creek. When you get to the creek, turn around and come back up and you can ride back and forth down that road. And so they had been gone for quite some time and... Uh, I went out to find them, or Becky, I can't remember, some, one of us went out to find them. And, uh, and when we went out, I think it was me went out, I saw them, they were kind of making their way back up the hill. And, and as I saw them from a distance, you could, you could tell uh, that they had broken the rule that I had set. Now, the, the way that I knew they had broken the rule was because this dirt, which was the reason why we told them to stop at the creek, was past the creek, and so it was, it was quite a ways past the creek, and, uh, and I had told them to stop at the creek so they wouldn't be playing around in this dirt and get all dirty, and of course, when they came back to the house, they, they had not looked in a mirror and seen what they looked like, but I could tell by looking at them, they had broken the rule, right? And so we took this picture, and uh, you know, we put a, actually put it up on Facebook, and, um, you know, because we, we kind of... We caught them in their error, right? We caught them with the evidence on, the, on their faces of their mistake. And we posted and some people, well, don't get mad at them for being dirty. Boys are supposed to get dirty. Just to be clear, we weren't mad at them for being dirty. We were mad at them. They were in trouble because they had broken our rule and gotten to the place where the dirt was because we interrogated them afterwards. And after a little bit of waterboarding, they confessed <laughs> that they had actually gone up to where the dirt was. But, you know, maybe it's back when you were a kid, maybe it was when you were little, but you probably, we can all probably remember a time in our life when we got caught, right? 
uh, we got caught in, in something that we weren't supposed to be doing, and, and right in that moment, we knew we were exposed, right? There, there was no hiding who we were or what we had done. Well, this morning we're going to look at, at Matthew, and this is a very interesting moment as, you, as we get into it. This is, this is basically the picture of what is taking place with, with Matthew as we know him. However, in this text, he is referred to as Levi. So Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32 says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, he said to him. And he got up and followed him, leaving everything behind. Then Levi gave a great banquet in his house for Jesus, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their experts in the law complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as we refer to our church, the center is a hospital for the sick. It is not a social club for the wealthy. We, as a church, want to be that kind of a church where we are caring for the sick, the sick of spirit, the sick of mind, the sick of body, as we've been seen exemplified in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Pray, Father, now in this moment that we have together that you would speak to our hearts, that you would cut through all of the layers of, of garbage and junk and, and things that would get in the way of us actually hearing you speak to us this morning. Cut to our hearts and speak directly to the issues that we have underlying in each and every one of us. I pray, Father, that you would use me as your servant to speak your truth, that my my desire would be to make much of you. I pray, Father, that you'd fill me with the spirit of truth that I might speak for you this morning, not for myself, for my own agenda, my own desires, but I would say what you want me to say and be faithful to that. And Father, give us all ears to hear, myself included, what you have for us that we may, as a result of hearing, go out and live our lives differently in accordance to your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, Matthew, as, I, as we know him, so I'm going to probably just out of habit call him Matthew. I'll try to call him Levi, but um, Matthew, as we know him, was a tax collector. We've talked a little bit about tax collectors over the years, but just quick refresher, they were not nice people. They were not thought of as good people. They were not looked up to in their culture. Uh, they, they, were, they were despised. We'll get into that here in just a minute. But what we know about Matthew or Levi is that he was a tax collector. That's what the text tells us here. We don't know exactly what kind of tax collector he was. Maybe he was collecting taxes from the people of the town, as some tax collectors did. Or maybe he was more of a customs official who would collect taxes from people passing through the town wishing to sell their goods. And so he would charge a 2 or 3% or however much he would decide. At least a certain percentage would go then back to Rome of the goods that were sold, and then he would add on his tax on top of that and keep that for himself. We don't know exactly what kind of taxes he was collecting. We just know that that's what he did. We know, though, that tax collectors were despised by the Jewish people. They were not liked by the Jewish people because they were seen as collaborators with Rome. They were seen as people helping the people who had occupied their home. 
They were collaborating with their oppressors. They were partners with those who were controlling the Jewish people and their territory. So they were despised. There were many of them extortionists. They would, they would do things to, to squeeze as much money as they could out of people. You might think of tax collectors more like the mafia. And in fact, the mafia had its roots in Italy, so it could very well be like the mafia, given that's where Rome was. So they may have, they may have training and, and tactics to extort money from people and ways to get money from people. But what do we know? We know that his name was Levi. We don't know this for sure, but uh, based on some of the things that I was studying, I think it's totally feasible and possible that before becoming a tax collector, he could have been a Levite. And the Levites, like we talked about before, were, were the, they weren't the ones who had the, the, the professional ministry as the priests did. That was from the tribe of Aaron. But the Levites were the lay leaders of the church. His name was Levi. And with our understanding of, of what he wrote and what he shared in the book of Matthew and the gospel according to Matthew, we see he had a good understanding of Jewish tradition, Jewish teaching, and Jewish ways. And so he very well may have been a Levite before becoming a tax collector. That's not for sure, but it is definitely within the realm of possibility. But what we know is that Levi was a tax collector. That's for sure. And we know, based on the Pharisees' response, that he was despised. So what we know is that Levi was despised and hated by the people. That's our setup for who he is. Somebody who's despised and hated by the people. There are some things that I want us to think about that, that maybe we don't know because it's easy to, to kind of put somebody who has this tag, the tag of tax collector, or in our day and age, I don't know what we might, th- we might call it, maybe it's the IRS, maybe, there's, you know, maybe there are collections that, that you've had to deal with people who are collections, or, or maybe it's telemarketers, right? Telemarketers might be the ones that, that we kind of revile and look down upon. But uh, you know, it's easy to, when we put a label on somebody like that, to just kind of categorize them within the construct of that label and not think of them as humans made in God's image. And so there's only a little bit that we know, but there's a lot that we don't know, and maybe there's some questions we could ask that we could maybe gain a little bit of understanding about the possibility of who Levi was. For instance, how did he end up in this position? Some thoughts I had as I was just thinking through possibilities. Maybe, maybe he signed up when he was young because he, he really liked the idea of being wealthy and didn't care about anything besides money. But now that he'd grown up to be a man, maybe he wished he hadn't done that. Maybe, as I said earlier, he started out being a Levite, but for one reason or another, he walked away from that. Maybe he wasn't able to meet the standards, didn't want to live the life that that was required to to meet those standards. Maybe he had made some bad decisions, some bad financial decisions, and he got in debt, and he needed a way to make as much money as he could to repay it, or through, through coercion, he became a tax collector because of the debt that he had incurred. Or it is totally possible that he was just a bad guy who didn't care who he had to hurt to get what he wanted. Maybe, I don't know. But there is a person behind the name. It's not just 
It's not just the man Levi that was a tax collector, this bad guy this, this, that we have ascribed him to be, but, but there's a man, there's a person, there's someone made in God's image behind the name. And our inclination is usually to make Matthew out to be this evil guy. Maybe he was, but maybe he was just trapped. Maybe he was stuck. Maybe he got into this thing and he didn't know how to get out, or maybe he had gotten addicted to the success or addicted to what he could buy with the money that he extorted out of people. Maybe he was trapped in a lifestyle and he wanted out. We don't know all the details. But verse 27, we read this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, he said to him, and he got up and followed him, leaving everything behind. After this, after what? We have to ask ourselves that question. This isn't just you know, an empty text that we're reading. We actually have to get into the text and observe what's going on and pay attention to the details. So, so we have to ask ourselves questions when we see a phrase like, after this or then. That means there was something that took place that, that happened right before this. So after this, well, what had just happened was Jesus had healed the paralyzed man, like we talked about last Sunday. Remember that? The, the four guys that lowered the guy on the mat, and, they, and then Jesus healed the paralyzed man, forgave his sins. So that's after this. So after Jesus had done that, it says Jesus went out. Jesus, so Jesus leaves the house. Jesus goes out of the house where he had healed the paralyzed man, and when he comes out of the house, the place where he had done this teaching and this healing, he comes out and he sees Levi there collecting taxes at his booth. It's pretty specific detail. Why do we think that is important? Well, I think there's probably some information we can glean from this detail. For one, there were a lot of people in the house. Remember that? Last week, we talked about how the four guys carrying the guy on the mat tried to come in. They said, no, there's no room. You can't get in here. And so they ended up going through the roof because that was the only way they could get the guy in front of Jesus. So, so this house was full. This house was packed with people, a lot of people in the house, people who had come all, from all over to see and hear Jesus. And if you're a tax collector, you need to be around people. If your job is collecting taxes, you need to be where the people are. So it's actually probably a, a, very, a very shrewd move on Levi's behalf to go and follow Jesus. Hey, I'm going to follow this Jesus guy, and I'll set up my tax booth outside where he's meeting and where he's drawing a crowd, and then I'll have the perfect opportunity to make some money. So Jesus comes out of the house, and when he comes out of the house, right there, it's Levi sitting at his tax booth. It's a perfect place. Tax collectors were opportunists, and Levi was taking advantage of a good opportunity. We don't know, maybe he had actually been following Jesus around the town as he, as he had been drawing a crowd all over the town and all over the area and people had been following Jesus' word, had definitely gotten around and so, so maybe, maybe Levi had been following him around and had seen what had happened and he saw the crowds and he saw the opportunity. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the booth and what does he say? Follow me. Follow me. 
He doesn't come up to him and condemn him. He doesn't come up to him and, and, and say, you know what, what you're doing is awful. What you, how the way you're treating people is, is despicable. He just comes out of the house, sees the guy sitting at his booth and says, follow me. Maybe you could imagine if, if he had been following Jesus around that, that, that uh, and just imagine Levi in his little portable tax booth, you know, whatever, whatever that looked like back in the day. I don't know, didn't do any research on that. But, you know, he would, he would kind of, you know, he's got his little folding table, right? And he's got his, his sign up and all the different taxes and, and all the different descriptions. And so, so he's just kind of following Jesus around. And so you can imagine that Jesus has actually seen Levi sitting there collecting taxes, But Levi is just using Jesus at this point. He's, he's using Jesus to get wealthy, right? He's taking advantage of the crowd that Jesus draws to make his money. Jesus had grown up knowing about what tax collectors did and how they treated people. He had no doubt seen the kind of people that tax collectors were. And he had probably seen how people had been treating and talking about this guy, Levi. But just like when uh, the, you get a, a call from the telemarketer, you know, this, this last week we registered a domain for the, for the car show, and I accidentally put in my, because of the autofill, you know, the convenience of autofill on Chrome, act, I put in, um, put in my cell phone number. And that next day, literally the next day, I just started getting 15, 20 calls a day from this people who said, hey, I saw that you registered a domain. And um, so even though I went back immediately within a few hours and changed the phone number, I've still been getting calls. And I can promise you that though, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to set an example for you, my thoughts of these people are not good. Right? But Jesus had probably observed how the Jewish people, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the, just the commoners in the area, how they talked about and thought about tax collectors. No one, like us, when telemarketers call, when people are soliciting us, no one really gives any consideration to the person. We are just upset or offended by the interruption. We don't consider the human being that's either on the other, on the, on the other end of the line or the, the human being that's at the DMV that's, that's feeling, you know, feels like we're getting a, a hard time when really it's because we were like six weeks late in renewing our license and so we deserve the hard time, but still, you know, that evil DMV. We don't give consideration to the people who hassle us maybe not even understanding that they might just be doing what they are doing because they have no other choice. I mean, not very many people choose to become telemarketers, right? It's not, it's not a sought-after position by most. Some are good at it, and, so, and the ones who are good at it actually probably treat people in a more human way, so, so they're the ones that you want to talk to. But oftentimes, you just kind of end up somewhere. 
You know what I mean? You, you kind of, you, you do one thing and, and, and that doesn't work out, but that leads you to this other thing and, and that doesn't really work out and that leads you to this other thing and that doesn't really li- work out. So it ends up leading you in this really roundabout way to, to this position where you find yourself now sitting at a tax collector booth, drawing your income by taking advantage of others. We don't really know how he got there, but, but we know that he, he was there. And just like that, a lot of us in our lives, we might be sitting in a spot right now where we, we don't really know how we got here. How did I get here? How did we get to this spot right now? And maybe the results of what's happening in your life aren't something that, that you really desire and you would like to see a change. With this guy Levi, he, he was out there. No one gave consideration to the person of Levi. He was visible to everyone, but seen by no one. Visible to everyone, but seen by no one. Everyone probably knew who he was, but nobody knew who he was. Except Jesus. Jesus went out and saw After this, Jesus went out of the house and he saw. Jesus looked and he saw with his own eyes a man there sitting at the tax booth and his name was Levi. Jesus went out of the house and he saw Levi. He saw him sitting there in his booth where he had made a practice of taking advantage of the people. Jesus went out of the house where he had just healed this man and forgiven this man and he had had this discussion with the Pharisees about what was really going on and he walks out of this house and he goes and he sees Levi taking advantage of his ministry, using it to his own advantage. How might we respond in that situation? I mean, I really, I really love this church and I really love where God has placed me in this role. It's just, it's such a blessing to be here. And I have to say, if somebody set up a booth out, you know, outside the doors and they were trying to extort money out of the people here in our church, I might not react so well. Or if I, if I found out that somebody had gotten a hold of our, of our mailing list, our emailing list, or the email addresses, and they were spamming all the people in our church, I, I, might, not, I might not respond so well. I might not feel so good about those people. My response when I saw them face to face probably wouldn't be, follow me. But that was what Jesus said. Jesus came out of the house with no condemnation, with no correction, he just said, follow me. Follow me. As if to say, follow me, not the money. Follow me, not all the opportunities that come along, that come your way. Follow me. Follow, follow me. Don't, don't follow the whim that you're feeling that day. Don't, don't, just, don't just follow the one who makes the best case. Don't, make the one who has, don't follow the one who has the best sales pitch. Don't, don't follow the next biggest opportunity. Follow me. And what did Levi do? Follow me, he said to him. And he got up and followed him 
leaving everything behind. What did Levi do? He got up. Does that ring a bell with anyone? I don't know if you, if you listened or paid attention at all last week, but, but you know, he got up. Who else had just gotten up? The paralytic, right? The guy on the mat, the guy that Jesus had just healed, the exact same word. It's, it's anestime or anestime or something like that. I actually listened to it be pronounced about 15 times, and I still can't do it. A-I-N-S-T-E-M-I. Aniste me is something like that. Aniste me. Where's Rob? All right. You can ask Rob how it's pronounced. The same word. He got up. The paralytic got up. Levi got up. The man on the mat had been forgiven of his sins, and here was Levi literally sitting in his sin. Jesus comes out of of healing the paralytic who got up and he sees Levi out there who's sitting in his sin. He's, He's caught with the dirt on his face. He says, follow me. And Levi, with dirt on his face, gets up. He got up from his tax booth. He got up from his profitable business taking advantage of people. He, he got up. He got up from his tax booth where he had made profit by taking advantage of the popularity of Jesus' ministry. He, he got up. He got up from the thing that actually consumed his entire life. This was what, what funded the exorbitant lifestyle, right? This was, this was what made it so he could drive the nice car. This was what made it so, so he could have the nice house, so he could wear the nice clothes and, and smell rich, you know? I don't know what that smells like, but you know what it smells like when you're with somebody. It's like they've just got this scent that you can't really understand. It's probably some $17,000 cologne that, that they only get two drops of, right? And, and they put it on and they smell rich, right? He, it funded his scent, This was his entire life. This was his identity. It wasn't just his job, and a lot of us identify ourselves by our jobs and our culture today, but it wasn't just his job that it was his identity, but it was also his place of belonging. We're going to find that out in just a, a, a verse here, that, that this was actually where, where his entire community and his relationships were with people who were also tax collectors and sinners. That was, that was what he was connected to. That was his whole relational circle. His sphere of influence was full of this. So when it says the phrase, leaving everything behind, it's not a light statement. It's not like, oh, he just got up and walked away from the table. No, he got up and walked away from, from a lifestyle and from his entire interconnected community where he belonged. Being a tax collector wasn't just his job. It was who he was. Jesus said, follow me, and he got up. He got up. He got up and he left everything behind. He literally left everything behind right there at the table. Everything he had collected right there just left it behind. He left his job, which probably meant, by the way, since he left his job and he left in such short notice that that he wouldn't be able to come back to this job. He left his job and, and it may have even meant that he would be hunted down and thrown into prison or something worse for having abandoned and left 
the capital's money behind. He just got up and left, and he left everything. He left his community, he left his circle of friends, he left his lifestyle, he left. See, it's a story, but we have to ask ourselves these questions while we're reading the story. He got up and left everything behind. Why? Why would you leave a life like that? I mean, I mean why would you leave all of that behind when you, when you have everything that you could possibly want, when you have everything the flesh desires, the eyes desire, and everything that makes you be able to stand up and puff up your chest with pride and say, I have arrived, I have accomplished everything. Why would you, at two words from somebody that you didn't even know, leave all of that behind? I think this is why. It's because when Jesus sees you as a sinner and still calls you to follow him, you're overwhelmed by his grace. When Jesus sees you in your sin, when Jesus sees you with dirt on your face, when Jesus sees you in the act, so to speak, when Jesus sees you as a sinner and he still calls you to follow him, you're overwhelmed by his grace. This is a significant story because this is actually our current condition before we come to Christ. This was our current condition when Jesus called us to follow him. It didn't matter who we were. It didn't matter what we had accomplished or what we had done. When Jesus saw us, we were sitting in our sin. When Jesus saw us, we had dirt on our faces. When Jesus saw us, we were in our current condition, which was rebellion against him. And even though he saw us in that current state, what did he do? He called us, and with the same words, he just says, follow me. We may not have been like Levi, who was working for the mafia. We may not have been extorting people, but we were certainly all about ourselves, weren't we? Everything was all about me. Everything was all about getting what I want so that I can have the life that I want. You know, doing what I want that pleases me, doing what I want that makes me happy, doing the things that make me feel good about myself. That, that's where we were, right? I mean, that's the condition that we were in when Jesus called us. It was, it was everything was about me. And that's how we were when Jesus called us. Some of us have been around the church for a long time and never really believed it, never really bought into it, never really gave up anything. Some of us might still be this morning just just like Levi coming around Jesus to take advantage of the benefits that come from being around Jesus. There's a lot of them. There's good. I mean, when Jesus is somewhere, there is a lot of goodness there. And Jesus is here, and it would be easy to just kind of come here and and just take advantage of all the goodness that exists when you're near Jesus, but not really ever make your life about Jesus. But today, 
no matter where we are, no matter what we're sitting in, no matter, no matter what our, our agenda is for being here today, no matter what our desire is for coming to a place like this on this Sunday, whether it's to, to fulfill a religious obligation or it's because we just hope by being here we're going to get access to this or that, no matter what it is, no matter where we are, no matter what we're sitting in right now, Jesus sees you, Jesus sees us, Jesus sees me, and he's calling out to every one of us, follow me. Jesus sees you right now. Jesus looks at you and he sees you as someone made in his image. And, and his message is not, how dare you? His message is not, why did you do this? His message is not, how could you have done such a thing? His message is not, you know, you're going to have to pay for what you have done. You have, you have taken advantage of enough people and it stops today and I'm going to make everything just and right. He is not sitting there with condemnation and condemning eyes looking at you just hoping that, that you're going to get caught in this moment and you'll find have to pay for what you've done. He is seeing you and he calls, follow me. Follow me. That's what grace does. Grace says, follow me. Grace says, you don't deserve to follow me, but follow me. You, you, didn't earn, you didn't earn this. And in fact, we're going to see here, that's the point. You're, you're wretched. You're a disaster. Follow me. You're broken. You're messed up. Your entire life is a mistake. You haven't made any good choices up until now. Follow me. What was, what was Levi's response to this? It's not, just, it's not just a few words on the page. This, we, have to, we have to get in the context. We have to actually get into this story because Jesus comes out of this house and Levi's sitting there at his booth and, and he's collecting taxes and Jesus says, follow me, and, and, and Levi gets up and leaves everything and follows him. And then we see what happens after that. Levi's response. We can tell that Levi was overwhelmed by grace by his response. What was his response? He threw a great banquet. This was how it worked in this culture. You repaid honor for honor. You, you, you tried to outdo one another in showing honor. So if someone honored you, you paid back that honor. So, so Levi felt honored by Jesus because he saw him and he called him. And because he felt honored, he responded in this way. What was the way he... He threw, he threw a party. He did what he knew how to do. He got all his people together. He got them all together and he threw a big party. He threw a banquet of tax collectors and sinners and the honored guest was Jesus. Jesus was invited to the banquet, and because Jesus is holy, he sat outside and waited for Levi to get it out of his system. Right? Jesus, Jesus couldn't be around that. Jesus couldn't go there. 
Jesus is holy. I mean, he's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is the holy one of God. He couldn't, he couldn't possibly, how could he go there? Verse 29, then Levi gave a great banquet in his house for Jesus. For Jesus. The reason he gave the great banquet was for Jesus. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. Sitting at the table gives us a picture of the kind of relationship they had, at least for this one banquet, because that means they were intimately sitting together at this table, dining. There was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, these are the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they complained to Jesus' disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There it is, we knew. That was how it was supposed to be. You don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. We don't associate with that type of people. Jesus answered them, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't wait outside. He didn't wait outside because he was too holy to go in. He, he was engaged intimately with the tax collectors and sinners. He sat intimately in their midst. He was with them, in fact, in such a way that made the Pharisees question it because the Pharisees saw it and asked about it. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. I mean, this was a banquet with, with some of the richest people around, with some of the people who had the most money because they had stolen the most money. Most likely, most probably, it, it was a big deal. It was a big feast. It was a big banquet. In fact, what we would have called probably a barn burner, right? It's the kind of party that the only way to clean up afterwards is to burn the barn down. And there in the midst of all of it, Jesus intimately drinking and eating with the tax collectors and sinners. Why? Those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. Jesus ate and drank with sinners not to be like them, but because he saw them and wanted to call them out of their sin. Jesus was where he was because he saw the people who were doing what they were doing and he saw their identity, their, their image. And he wanted to call them out of their sin. Now, I want to give a word of warning here because it may sound like I'm, I'm making a statement, and I am, but there have been a lot of Christians who have gone out to do outreach with sinners, eat and drink with them, and they get wrapped up in the eating and drinking. And that's not what Jesus did. The purpose wasn't for Jesus to get the joy out of the eating and the drinking. Jesus was there for the people who needed him. 
Jesus ate and drank, but he did so for a purpose. Jesus ate and drank. He did that because there were sinners there who needed him. Those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Imagine the offense that the Pharisees would have taken at that statement. They were the righteous ones. The Pharisees were the righteous. They were the righteous of the righteous. They were at the top of the pyramid of the righteous people in society. They were the righteous ones. And what does Jesus say? I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. In other words, um, I'm not eating and drinking with you. You had your chance. You got it all wrong. I'm doing something new. But that's next week, so we're not going to get into that too much today. Where are you this morning? Where are you sitting? What, what's the setting of your life? For Levi, it was the, his booth, his tax collector booth. He was sitting at his, at his booth, and that's where Jesus saw him. What's the setting for your life right now? What is, what is the setting of what you're sitting in? What, what does it look like when Jesus looks at you this morning? When Jesus looks at you from, from his high and lofty position, what is, what is the setting? We may be tempted in this moment when, when we realize that, hey, you know what? My, my current condition, my current setting isn't going to quite measure up. I'm, I'm falling short of it. And, and so we might be inclined to think like the Pharisees and the tax collectors where I've got to get myself clean, right? I've got to do some stuff to fix myself up so that, so that Jesus can finally see me and call me. But, but what, what, what Levi's story tells us is that no matter what your current condition, Jesus sees you and he wants you and he wants you to leave everything and follow him. No matter what the setting is, no matter what our current condition, Jesus sees you right now. And he sees you and he wants you. And he wants you to leave everything and follow him. No matter the stronghold, no matter the lure and the grip of what our current setting is, it is nothing compared with what Jesus is calling to. And when Jesus sees you and he calls you out of that, our response is overwhelming gratitude because he is so gracious. The reality of it was that the righteous, they were sinners too. The righteous ones that, that were confronting Jesus, the ones that, that thought that they had done everything according to the letter of the law and they deserved to be at the table with Jesus, the, the righteous ones, the righteous of the righteous, they, they were sinners They had taken this good thing that God had designed and they had used it for their own purposes. They had taken it and, 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 and used it for something that it wasn't designed to. They were, they were in fact, taking this, this letter of God's law and they were taking it and twisting it to use it, just like the tax collectors, to oppress the people. 
They were using it to to put a weight and a burden and a yoke on the people of Jesus' day that was so heavy they couldn't possibly carry it. They were weighing people down in the religion of the day and it was impossible for them to do it. So, So when Jesus is talking about the tax collectors who were known for extorting people, I think he was also mentioning the Pharisees who were doing the exact same thing under the guise of religion. See, Jesus isn't a get yourself clean and then come to me first kind of a guy. He's come to me. Come to me. Come to me no matter what your current condition. Come to me no matter what you look like. Come to me no matter what you're surrounded with. Come to me no matter how you feel. Come to me no matter what you've done. Come to me no matter what you think is going to keep you from me. Just, just come to me. And his answer is, I will give you rest. Jesus sees you, and he wants you. And I think our only response in that when Jesus sees us and and we see that he has a desire for us that we can't explain, that that he sees us and he calls us to follow him, that, that the most righteous, most holy one sees us and calls us and says, follow me, something we probably have no right doing if it's on our own merit, to follow Jesus, you know, when we, when we realize that's what he's asking us to do, to follow him, to follow the holy one, the holy lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. When he says, follow me, how could we not be overwhelmed with gratitude and say, I cannot believe that the God of the universe is looking me in the face right now and saying, I want you to follow me. Come follow me. Of course we would respond with overwhelming gratitude. Let's stand together. you bow your heads, close your eyes. A couple questions I want to ask to a couple different groups. If you're here this morning and, and you would say, I've been I've been doing all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. I've made all the wrong choices and have gone all the wrong directions. And I feel Jesus calling me this morning. I feel him calling my heart and, and I want to follow. If you, if you are feeling that tug on your heart right now, right this, mo- this moment in this morning, and, and you're feeling it's this Jesus saying, Jesus is always speaking directly to you, Sounds like me, but it's, it's, actually, it's actually Jesus tugging on your heart, saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. He sees you and he wants you to follow him, follow me. If you feel Jesus calling you in your heart to follow him, and you're ready to leave your life of sin, leave it all behind and follow him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Yeah. You can put your hands down. If you're here this morning and, and you would say, 
I've been following Jesus, but for all the wrong reasons. I've been, I've been following Jesus, but it's for what I can get out of being around Jesus, not for Jesus. Or if you're like the Pharisees and, and you think that you don't need Jesus, you can earn your position with God on your own, you think you can be righteous on your own, and you've been living a life of religion to try to earn your position with God, and you see yourself as one of those two people, and you are ready to just leave all of that behind, and you hear Jesus calling, follow me. You hear him speaking to your heart, follow me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Yeah. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for your grace. So thankful that though we don't deserve it, though we could not earn it, you have poured out your love on us. Though from our own human understanding there. It seems like like a waste. Seems backwards. It doesn't seem to make sense. It just seems out of place that God would love us first. I thank you for this radical, unexplainable, undeniable, unbelievable love that you have for us. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that though we do not deserve your love, you give it freely. That though we have done everything wrong to cause us to be deserving judgment, you give us your grace freely. Not just a grace to wipe our slate clean so that we are no longer guilty. The grace does not simply eradicate our past mistakes but a grace that even in and of itself is so beyond belief, so inexplainable, so hard to understand that this grace not only forgives our offenses against you, but that this grace actually brings us into your family, brings us into your kingdom. And though we were on the outside hoping to get in, we are now sons and daughters sitting at the table of the king of the universe, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We have been adopted into the family of the king. Thank you for this amazing grace. Thank you for this amazing love. For those who are here this morning, Father, who are wanting to take that step and saying, I'm ready to put my faith in the king of the universe. I'm ready to follow him. I'm going to leave everything behind. I pray, Father, that right now in this moment, as their hearts are open and ready to receive, that you would fill them with the resurrected power of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And I pray, Father, as they receive the Spirit, the Spirit of sonship, the Spirit of adopted sons and daughters into the kingdom, the Spirit of the one who now knows them as a son, knows them as a daughter, as they receive this Spirit, that they would be now set free from the bondage of their past, set free from the bondage of religion, set free from the bondage of sin, set free from anything that ties them to a life that is not of you, anything that ties them to their former condition, and that now their current condition in you is, I am a son, I am a daughter, I am set free, I am clean, I am released from all of those things that once held me. Now I am yours. Take me where you want me to go. And Father, I pray that you give them strength through the Spirit to overcome 
the attacks of the enemy who will certainly move in the moments ahead. Try to get them to believe the lie. You're not really his. You're not really new. You're not really different. You're going to go back to what you were. Father, I pray through the strength of the resurrected spirit of Christ that you help them to not only identify those but to reject them as they come and to embrace only the truth of Jesus Christ that I am who he says I am. I am not who you think I am. I am not who I was. I'm not even who I think I am right now at this moment. I am who he says I am. My identity is no longer the fallen, broken Adam that I once was but now my identity is the perfect, restored Jesus Christ and he has clothed me in his righteousness. I am who he says I am not who you think I am. And Father, I pray for all of us in this room as you have called us, as you have seen us, as you loved us and you called us to follow you, I pray, Father, that you would now fill us with the work of the Spirit that we may not be people who sit idly by and look at our friends, our tax collectors and sinners that are around us who so desperately need Jesus, but may we be like Levi. May we do whatever it takes. May we go to great extremes, great costs, and great lengths to be able to draw people into a place where they hear about Jesus. May you give us ideas. May you give us, give us ways to do that that we've never thought about doing that before, but I pray, Father, through the power of the resurrected Christ, alive and active and at work in each and every one of his children here in this room, that you would open our eyes to the tax collectors and sinners in our world, and I pray, Father, that you would give us what you want us to have so that we can go into their midst and let them see Jesus through us. Not for our glory, not that we might make much of ourselves, but that we might make much of Jesus, trusting that we, as we walk humbly with you, you will lead us into those situations so that we might shine like the stars of the universe, illuminating the darkness and draw your lost sons and daughters home. In Jesus' name.